Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know what it is by now, and of course you love it. It is Victory Lane. Today is episode 71. Unfortunately, I was not able to line up a guest this week. Although I shouldn't really say that because my girlfriend offered to preview the playoffs, and in hindsight, I probably should have done that because racing with Robin was a resounding success which came out over a month ago by now. But I don't know. Busy week. We had uh, back-to-back NASCAR media days this week where we talked to all 16 playoff drivers. So we're going to do that here. Not talk to the playoff drivers, but preview the 10-race postseason that we have upcoming in the Cup Series. But before we do any of that, we're going to learn a little bit more than I'd like or imagine (laughs) about Bobby Isaac and some other drivers that were synonymous with the number 71 with the weekly Wayback segment that my dad has been doing. And I realize this segment is entirely too long, but I have no guests this week, and I figured why not have some different stuff for this week. And my dad basically sent me three separate audio clips. I was like, Dad, what are you what are you doing? I told you to, for this to be two minutes, not seven. But here's Papa Siegel and Mama Siegel making her debut on the podcast with some more in this week's Wayback segment. Happy Labor Day to all you party people, and welcome to the NASCAR numerology segment of today's podcast. Today, we turn our attention to number 71. Unlike the last few weeks when there's been slim pickings to choose from, there are a plethora, had to get that one in, Doof, of drivers worth discussing who had success in number 71. Today, we feature the legendary Bobby Isaac, who won the NASCAR championship in 1970, driving the iconic number 71 Dodge Charger Daytona, you know, the car with the big and tall rear spoiler, with crew chief Harry Hyde. You can see his car at the NASCAR Hall of Fame, and it's a beauty. Isaac won 37 cup races during his career, including 11 in his championship season, and started from the pole 49 times. Isaac was also known as the speed demon of his day. In November 1970, he and Hyde took their car to Talladega and set a closed-course speed record over 200 miles an hour that stood for 13 years. In September 1971, Isaac went to the Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah and set 28 Worldland speed records, some of which still stand to this day. He died in 1977 following a late model sportsman race at Hickory Motor Speedway. With 40 laps left in the race, Isaac called for a relief driver and collapsed on pit road from heat exhaustion. He was rushed to a hospital, and although he was briefly revived, he later died from a heart attack caused by the heat exhaustion. He was only 45 years old. Bobby Isaac was inducted into the National Motorsports Press Association Hall of Fame in 1979 and the International Motorsports Hall of Fame in 1996. In 1998, he was recognized by NASCAR as one of its 50 greatest drivers, and he was voted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame 
as part of its 2016 class. He was the original Rocket Man. For today's first honorable mention, and as a little surprise for your host, we turn to another guest contributor. You know her as Mama Siegel. I know her as the love of my life for more than 30 years. Here's my wife, Jennifer. All yours, Bay. Thanks, honey. I'm glad somebody finally invited me to join the podcast. If I asked you who the first woman driver in NASCAR history was, would you know? No, it's not Danica Patrick. No, it's not even Janet Guthrie, who was discussed on a recent podcast. Would you be surprised to hear that a woman raced in the first NASCAR race? It's true. Sarah Christian competed in NASCAR's first race on June 19, 1949 at Charlotte Speedway. She raced in six of the eight events in the 1949 season and finished 13th in the final point standings. They included the second race at the Daytona Beach Road Course where she finished 18th. The 28-car field that day also included Ethel Mobley and Louise Smith, which made it the first race to include three woman drivers. Sarah's husband, Frank, also competed in the race and finished sixth in his only career start. They became the only married couple to compete in a NASCAR race until 1986, when Patty Moise and Elton Sawyer competed for the first time together in the NASCAR Bush Grand National Series. Christian finished fifth at the ninth race of 1949 at Heidelberg Raceway in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The finish was the best ever and only top five finish by a woman in NASCAR Cup Series history. That's more than 70 years ago. Girl power. Thanks for listening. Now, back to you, honey. Ain't she great? Also deserving of honorable mention this week, we recognize Dave Marcus. Marcus raced in 883 races over a 35-year career. That's just remarkable. He won five times and finished second in the championship during 1975. He holds the record for most Daytona 500 starts with 33 and, on a more dubious note, also holds the record for most top 10 finishes in a season without a win. That was 24 in 1978. Marcus was one of the last of the non-factory-supported independent owner-drivers, and he was notoriously stubborn. As an example, and a glimpse of what might have been, Marcus was driving for Rod Osterlin in the late 1970s when he decided to leave that team following the 78 season and start his own team instead. Do you know who replaced him? That would be future seven-time champion Dale Earnhardt who began his rookie campaign the following year and who won his first cup championship for Osterlin in 1980. You all know the story after that. Osterlin's ride led to Earnhardt driving for Richard Childress after Richard decided to step out of his car and six more championships. Marcus and Earnhardt somewhat ironically became close friends and Marcus often served as the test driver for Earnhardt's number three during the prime of Earnhardt's career. Marcus may have been best known, however, for his signature Goodyear hat and his wingtip shoes. The former was born out of his loyalty to the brand during the tire war years when Goodyear slugged it out with Firestone and Hoosier for preeminence in NASCAR. As for the latter, Marcus gave David Pearson credit for his wingtip racing shoes 
during an interview a few years ago. Marcus explained that in the early years of his career, lots of drivers were burning their feet, especially on short tracks. Marcus said he saw Bobby Allison, who had burned his feet in the prior week's race at North Wilkesboro, limping in the garage. A conversation ensued with Pearson, Cale Yarborough, Richard Petty, and Allison. Wouldn't you have loved to be a fly on the wall for that? Marcus says that Pearson asked if he, Marcus, had any dress shoes. And Marcus said he had a pair of wingtips in his car. So, the story goes, he got them, put them on, and started using them because the leather soles kept his feet from getting burned. What started as a matter of necessity rather than a fashion statement lasted the rest of his career, even after the advent of modern racing shoes. When Bill Simpson, you know, the racing equipment and safety guy, in later years gave Marcus a pair of racing shoes to try, Marcus said he never liked the feel of the shoes because they made him feel like he was walking barefoot. So, he says, he stayed with his Dexter wingtips. Following his final Daytona 500 in 2002, Goodyear presented Marcus with a special bronze trophy shaped like his signature wingtip shoes and Goodyear hat. Well, that was a long one, but hopefully a good one for number 71. Hope you all enjoyed it. Back to you, my boy. Thank you to my wonderful parents for not only birthing me, not only raising me, giving me a house, some food, but also appearing on this very pod. What would I do without you? I truly do not know. So thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. Love you, as always. Anyways, we're also about to talk about this race that we saw at Daytona, regular season finale. How about that race? My goodness gracious, it was good stuff. Sheesh. And a playoff preview with 26 races down, 10 to go. Who's going to take the crown in Phoenix? I'll tell you who. But before that, let's start this episode as we always do with a good, old-fashioned I'm going to try to muffle it a little bit because I'm still in my girlfriend's parents' place in Delaware. Reggaeton! Hopefully that was muffled enough, but I kind of just screamed. Daytona regular season finale. What a race. Truly. I mean, my dad kept texting me during the race and said that it was one of, if not the best one of the year. And it might be. I mean, you never know. I think in Jeff Gluck's poll, it wasn't number one, and it wasn't number one for the year, but it was the first super speedway race to eclipse the 90% mark. Part of that was because the racing was so good on track. Part of that was because we had a first-time winner. Part of that was probably because of the amped-up intensity that was that came along with this event being the playoff cutoff for the first time. Everything that happened in those 400 miles at Daytona was just really, really entertaining and good. But Joey Logano won the first two stages, and he had some great races to end both of them. A lot of jockeying for position, coming back to the line. And let's fast forward to the final stage. There winds up being not one, but two big ones in the final frame. First one happens with, geez, I don't know, about 20 laps to go, something like that. Tyler Reddick gets a real good run up high, down the backstretch, dives down low in turns three and four, Tries to slide up in front of Kyle Busch. That doesn't go as planned. Collects a bunch of other drivers. Kyle Busch was in it. Ryan Priest took a big lick. Eric Jones's playoff hopes were done after that incident. A ton of drivers involved there. Um, Ryan Newman, if you guys were watching the race, Ryan Newman flamed the ever-living you-know-what at Redick. Basically said, I think verbatim, he said, kid wins two Xfinity championships and think he can shove his head where the sun don't shine. <laughs> 
So I was like, damn, Newman, oh, glad you're all right in Daytona in another wreck. But anyways, Eric Jones is also not that pleased. Kyle Busch said, well, it's still 2020. Of course it is. Although today when we talked to him on the media tour, he sound, sounded pretty upbeat compared to what he had been in the past. Uh, anyways, I digress. He Reddick took blame for that, though, on Twitter and after in the infield care center, basically saying it was a dumb move, rookie mistake. I'll learn from it, so he will do better next time, I guess. And then with about four laps to go, I think it actually may have been two laps to go, so Bidness was really starting to pick up. Bubba Wallace going for the lead on the outside, four wide. Could you imagine if he made that move stick? Some contact was made. I think it was him, Byron, Logano, and somebody else down low. And there was another big one that happened. I think the 24 got into the 43, 22 lost control. And unfortunately, as, as much as it pains me to say, Jimmy Johnson was collected. Ugh. Wound up being too much damage for him to overcome and contend to even transfer into the playoffs. So unfortunately, he misses out. Sadness. We'll hear from him later. But we had a race to finish, and we did so in overtime. And what happens? Slick Bill Byron, baby. I like Slick Bill Byron better than Willie B, to be honest. But regardless, William Byron wins for the first time in his Cup Series career. He was lit. And back to the Daytona Media Center we go with low voices, which make us laugh. So let's hear from Willie himself. How does it feel to get the monkey off his back after 97 races going winless? You got to remember, kid comes in rookie season, wins the Xfinity Championship. Year before that, won seven races in the Truck Series and should have won the championship if it weren't for a blown engine. So as Corey LaJoy always says on his podcast, William Byron didn't forget how to race, didn't forget how to drive a race car really well. It's been circumstances and getting used to the Cup Series content and programming, I guess you could say, that kept him out of victory lane. 97 races it was, 98 was the charm. Uh, incredible. <laughs> On cloud nine for sure. Um, there was a point of that race that... I didn't really think things were going to work out in our favor to uh, to make the playoffs and you know really have have a an opportunity next week. So this was kind of one of those um, do or die situations and um, kind of cross that fork in the road tonight and and um, we're able to be aggressive and make it happen and really just the final probably ten laps of the race I just was on um, on offense and trying to trying to just win the race and take whatever run I could and. Um, luckily was able to make the moves that I needed to got just enough daylight between the 22 and the 43 to kind of split that gap. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd pushed the 43 really aggressively up to there and he had did a, done a great job to hold on to his car and get us to that place and position. And, um, and from there, then the next restart got a great push from the 14, um, you know, and then was fortunate that things worked out to where I had the nine on with me on the last lap and, um, you know, was able to make it work. So just incredible. I don't even know what to say really. It's a huge blessing. I also wanted to get his perspective on whether or not he expected this to come sooner because after two to three years full-time in the Cup Series with Hendrick Motorsports equipment in the 24 car, there started to be some questions externally. Hey, William, I know we're going back a couple of years here, but when you first entered the Cup Series, did you imagine getting your first win a little bit earlier? And in the months and years that followed, did you ever question yourself and say, When's this win going to come? Can I really get this done? Um, no, I think you just got to capitalize given the opportunity. The opportunities in the Cup Series to win races, you know, it, it's it's hard. So it's, um, you know, you just got to capitalize. And, you know, it just it, it came together tonight and, um, you know, we capitalized. So it just 
I don't know. It just, um, you know, it's it's um, the best series and and um, really is tough out there. So you just gotta gotta fight really hard. So I've learned a lot and learned a lot about, you know, how to how to get to that next step. And so hopefully we just keep it going. Thank you. Congrats. Mm -hmm. And how about the man atop the pit box, huh? Chad Knauss. He had 80-plus wins with Jimmy Johnson in the 48, and for the first time in his career, he wins with a different driver and a different car number. That is very weird. But that feeling of winning, which is a first for him in, I think, over three years, it's the same. Yeah, the emotions obviously have uh, run rampant over the last few weeks with with the position we've been in, it's been unfortunate that the, the 24 has been back this far and uh, needing to battle so hard for the playoff spot. But coming into the weekend, we, we were optimistic. We felt like we were going to have a good race car. Felt like the car was going to perform well. We knew William was really good at super speedway racing. He's done done exceptionally well at the restrictor plate tracks, and we've been able to get a lot of stage points. So going into today, we really didn't know what was going to happen. Obviously, there was a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of excitement and energy coming into the, the track this weekend. And uh, to be able to get out there and, and race competitively all race long and William do a really good job of missing some pretty critical crashes out there, put us in a good spot to, to go out there and get the victory, which was great for, for Liberty, Liberty and everybody at Hendrick Motorsports. It was a long time coming. Obviously, the goal for, for me was to try to get to victory lane with this 24 car again. And uh, to be able to do it here in Daytona is really special. It was also classic Chad Knauss. And Jordan Bianchi wrote a, an article on The Athletic basically talking about how much of a coach and how in control of his team Chad Knauss is. But he yelled at his team over the radio after they won, basically saying, good job, guys. Enjoy this. Go out on the front stretch. Get some pictures. But keep your distance. Keep your social distance. And then the team was just so hyped, so they went and they hugged their driver. And Chad's shouting on the radio. was like, I thought I told you to effectively distance. What is wrong with you? You guys can't listen. And uh, he joked on the post-race Zoom that he was going to find them, but he won't, and he didn't. But, unfortunately, we had to get to our sadness hour on this episode. No playoffs for Jimmy Johnson. If it weren't for a positive COVID-19 test that, by the way, he got on his own accord because he's a good human being, if it weren't for that, if it weren't for a DQ at Charlotte, if it weren't for a mistake coming to the end of Stage 1 at Darlington... If he just would have gotten loose and not spun the car out and finished second or third, if it weren't for any of those things, it would have been different. And that part, the what-ifs and the woulda-coulda-shoulda, that's what eats at Jimmy Johnson, the fact that he won't get a chance to chase eight in his final full-time season. Yeah, that's the disappointing part. Um, you know, to, to look back at ones that got away, um, ones I never got a shot at, like the Brickyard, <laughs> and to miss it only by six points. I mean, I knew it was going to be an emotional, uh, you know, a couple of weeks going down the stretch. I knew the position we were in. So it's not like this is a shock or a surprise. So my, my emotions are what I would have expected. You know, I'm definitely disappointed, uh, but I, I, we've been running well and running good and I still know I can win a race and there's still races to win. So, and after a couple of beers and a flight home, I'll uh, get a good night's rest and shake, try to shake it off tomorrow and just, just focus on the next race. Yeah, as we came by the start-finish line, I could see some rooftops moving around, and I knew something was going on, and I saw the 43 car in the outside wall. Uh, but he gathered it up, and we all kind of got rolling again down into turn one, and then I, I could not see what really started things on the lower lanes. But um, I got in the right side wall just a little bit, and then somebody clobbered me from the bottom. So I, something happened in the lower lanes that I didn't see, and uh, somebody spun up into me. 
But on the flip side of things, Matt DiBenedetto is feeling pretty, pretty, pretty good. And it was an emotional roller coaster not only the past few weeks, but the past few years for him. So getting into the postseason makes everything that he's gone through, from starting parking, writing his own name above the door, losing a job or leaving a job with no real thing that he had concrete in the future, this makes everything worth it for him and his wife, Taylor, who I think Maddie D talks about here, was bawling her eyes out right after the race finished. Man, I uh, I don't even know, to be honest with you. That was so, uh, that was so stressful. Um, but man... It just uh, so much, just so much appreciation to a level that it's hard to describe because, uh, you know, you guys all know a career path and just you appreciate what I would, uh, I would call usually the little things, but this one's a big one. So <laughs> appreciate it so much. Uh, just in, you know, when you're driving for the Wood Brothers and having all these great people around you, uh, it just means so much to, to be able to do it here uh, with the team. And, and to give you a glimpse and answer your question better, um, I just got off a of FaceTime with my wife and she was crying nonstop. Um, and that's just, uh, you know, she, she couldn't stop crying because of excitement, obviously, just knowing how much this, uh, this meant to us and not only making the playoffs, but knowing that we can uh, uh, really contend and, and do a good job as a team. So now we have the playoff field set. 16 drivers are eligible and I doubt NASCAR will ever, ever move the regular season finale from Daytona because that was highly, highly entertaining. It was so fun to see it all play out on Saturday night, and I admitted it in my highlight hump day, and I admitted it, uh, admitted it, admitted it on a couple other platforms that I was on this week. I was skeptical when they announced that the regular season finale would be at a super speedway because I thought that the luck factor and the pureness of it wouldn't really be conducive to determining a playoff field. But boy, was I wrong. God, that was so, so entertaining. So NASCAR, thumbs up to you. The Xfinity race seemed pretty wild as well. You had Collard Racing, was 1-2-3 once again at Daytona. But Ross Chastain wrecks A.J. Allmendinger. I shouldn't say wrecks. He wrecked with A.J. Allmendinger on the white flag coming to the checkers. So they spin out, that being the 10 and the 16. The 11 of Justin Haley comes through to win. So thank God for Chris Rice that they won the race because he would have been fuming if all three of his cars wound up wrecking or not winning after that. And although it's kind of weird and awkward, regardless, Collard Racing and Justin Haley, again, gets another win at a super speedway and another win at Daytona. Yeah, obviously the first part of the race, you know, you want to kind of, you know, save your stuff and, and have a lot of teamwork. Um, you know, I got shuffled there by the Fords with, you know, about 10 to go and, and luckily, I was close enough back, I could see Cindric's hand signals. And, uh, you know, he's kind of counting down to Chase, I believe. And, you know, I could kind of, I was translating to, you know, my guys what the Fords were going to do. You know, I was kind of like the spy back there. And then I got a good run um, based off when they were trying to lag back. I lagged back a little quicker and, and was able to shoot shoot past them. And then, obviously, you know, the two other college cars got uh, got together. But awesome effort by everyone at Lee Field Guard Protection, College Racing. Uh, you know, we're, you know, a team, we're a team and, and we're a family. And, and if one of us wins, obviously the other two are disappointed, but um, at least one of us got it. Let's head off to St. Louis, specifically Madison, Illinois, where Sheldon Creed used the hell up out of Todd Gillen in the truck race. And he gets his third win of the season. If you haven't seen the move, essentially Sheldon just sent it real deep into turn one, 
completely pushed the 38 of Todd up the hill. He got into the wall. And mind you, Todd's fighting for a playoff spot here. Sheldon's just racking up the playoff points. And Sheldon admitted on the post-race Zoom that there is going to be some retribution coming his way sometime soon. Whether it's before the playoffs, during the playoffs, next season, who knows? But he knows that he's got one coming. Yeah, I mean, I hate racing like that. And um, it's so hard to pass here. And, and the 24 came with a run and, and pushed me. And I figured uh, I'll have a good shot here. I just kind of, I was doing passes like that all day. I would just kind of get to the inside, go to the rumble strips and slide up the racetrack uh, and kind of take their line away where we both drove it in there really tight or, or really hard. And, and he just held it on me tight. And um, I was just really free and I couldn't turn the wheels. So, uh, yeah, I mean, hate to do that to him. He's, he's probably going to wreck me back somewhere, um, which I mean, Hey, um, you know, race people, how you want to be raced. And, and that's bummer, but yeah, I feel bad. I'm going to have to for sure call him uh, this week and um, just talk it out with him. Also would be remiss if I didn't mention the Arkham Menard series race at worldwide technology raceway at gateway. Of course we just call it gateway. Ty Gibbs wins that one. Shocker. I know. Kids winning everything these days. Got to have him on the show. Uh, yeah, we, we should do that. Anyways, really good weekend of racing. Daytona, St. Louis, wherever you were, whatever you watched, it was good. Um, Scott Dixon won the first race uh, for IndyCar, and I believe Joseph Newgarden won the second. They had the doubleheader at Gateway as well. So, onward. No guests this week, unfortunately, so we're just going to chop it up, just you and me, one-on-one. You know, if anybody's actually listening. 2020 playoff preview. Let's get right into it. We got one, two, three, four rounds, 16 drivers. Only one can be champion. Round of 16 races will take place at Darlington, Richmond, and Bristol. So before we get any further, let let me tell you the playoff field that we have right now. And I'm looking at my playoff grid. So Kevin Harvick's the one seed by virtue of his seven wins. I think he has 57 playoff points. Denny Hamlin has his six or seven wins. He's the two seed. Brad Keselowski has a handful of wins. He's the three seed. Joey Logano, two wins before the pandemic. He is the four seed. Chase Elliott, by virtue of a win, he's in. Martin Truex Jr., by virtue of a win at Martinsville, he's in. Ryan Blaney, by virtue of a win as well, he's in. Alex Bowman, pre-pandemic, won at Fontana, he's in. William Byron, wins this past weekend at Daytona, he's in. Austin Dillon, won at Texas on tire strategy, he's in. Cole Custer, won at Kentucky when the leaders just started to race the hell out of each other. He's in. On points, you have Eric Almarola, Clint Boyer, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, and Matt DiBenedetto in that order. All right. Glad we got that under control. Now let me X out this playoff grid and go back to my notes. Okay. My four drivers that I have being eliminated after the round of 16, Cole Custer and Austin Dillon, those are the two weakest links of the playoff field, so there's no real surprise there. But I, you can't count them out because in this format, anything can, will, and has happened. So I have Cole Custer and Austin Dillon going out, Alex Bowman, and Matt DiBenedetto. Matty D is is kind of in that quote-unquote weak link category, and I think making hit was, was an accomplishment for him. He showed some flashes of brilliance early on this season. I think at Kentucky he finished third, or some, maybe Kansas, I'm not sure. I mean, he had a couple top fives in a row, I want to say. But I don't think that right now the 21 team is up to snuff. And I picked Bowman to be eliminated because early on in the season, again, pre-pandemic, Chevrolet was rolling. They came out of the gate really, really fast. 
And then when they came back from the pandemic, I think he finished second at the second Darlington race. But ever since then, it's been a struggle. And he admitted today on the Zooms as well that in the summer months, it has not been kind to them. And I just don't think that Darlington, Richmond, and Bristol really fit his driving style, at least in my opinion. So I'm going to pick Bowman to go out in the first round as well. So then we move on to the round of 12 races at Las Vegas, which is not officially going to happen, but all signs point to that it will be able to happen, but just with really, really strict guidelines. Talladega and the Charlotte Roval. This one is probably the most unpredictable round and the quote-unquote wild card, if you will, considering you got a super speedway in Dega, you got a road course that's still largely not really conquered by anybody in the Roval. Um, the four drivers I have being eliminated, and these might surprise you, Eric Almarola, and that might surprise you because a lot of the drivers on the Zooms today, Jeff Gluck, I think he's doing a piece for The Athletic on a potential dark horse that other drivers think can surprise some people. A lot of people, I want to say out of the 16, probably like 10, honestly, said Eric Almarola because he had that career-long top five and top 10 streak earlier this year, so I could see it. But I have Eric Almarola going out in this round. Clint Boyer, I just think that the 14 team's inability to finish races. They can put together a good stage one, maybe stage two, but lately they haven't been able to finish races, so I got Boyer as well. William Byron, I could totally see him like winning a race at Talladega, though, or even the Roval, because they got a lot of positive momentum and good juju right now. And the one that I went back and forth with to join Amarola, Boyer, and Byron to be eliminated in the second round is the reigning champion Kyle Busch. I know what you're saying. He's the reigning champion. I know he's had a bad season, but you can't count him out. Again, I went back and forth with him on this one. I'm not feeling it. I'm really not feeling it. But today on his Zooms, like he was he was feeling really positive and I actually asked him, you know, seeing what Tony Stewart did in 2011 winning 5 of the 10 playoff races and having a terrible regular season and this format being very heavily reliant on what have you done for me lately? Does that give you any extra positivity or hope going into the last 10 weeks? And he said, certainly it does. And the fact that, you know, you can win one race in each round and get to Homestead or Homestead, put a dollar in the swear jar, get to Phoenix really easily. That gives him some hope. But I, I just don't think that this is the year for Kyle to do it. I, I do think that he will win a race, win a race, win a race before the year is over to keep his, I think he's won a race in what? 12, 13, 14 years in a row, something like that. Has he been around that long? I don't know. But uh, bottom line is, it's still 2020, as Kyle says, and I, I just don't think he's going to make it past this round. But that was the one I went really, really back and forth with. The 10 and the 24 are kind of dark horse picks, and the 14's just kind of been eh. The 18, it has the, the 18 team and driver, they have the capability to win the championship, like they do. And I'm sure that they're being picked to go to the championship four by a good amount of people, but not this guy. I'm not feeling it. So we go on to the round of eight. Kansas, Texas, and Martinsville. Can I just say as an aside, why do we have races at Kansas and Texas in the penultimate round of the playoffs? Like, Kansas is okay. Texas sucks. Martinsville's great as a cutoff. But I don't know. I just feel like I feel like we could be doing better there. But that's just me. Uh, put Road America in there next year. What do you say? All right. So to recap, this is who we have left in terms of my playoff grid with the round of eight. Harvick and Hamlin, obviously. Keselowski, Logano, Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr., Ryan Blaney, and Kurt Busch. They are all still eligible for the championship in my bracket right now. 
Now, Kurt and Kyle are the ones that I kind of went back and forth with, but I thought Kurt's consistency overall was going to actually um, be good for him. And I, So I have him in my Elite Eight, so to speak. I do have him going out this round, though. So Kurt is the guy I have surprising some people going this far, but I have him out in the round of eight. Um, I, I'm not going to pick Hamlin or Harvick to be eliminated this round. I'm just not going to do it due to their ridiculous amount of playoff points. Um, and also, they're good everywhere this year. I'm going to join Ryan Blaney with Kurt Busch to be eliminated in this round, Chase Elliott, and Joey Logano. So Kurt, Blaney, Chase, and Joey, I have them being eliminated in this round, which means my championship four at Phoenix consists of Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, and Martin Truex Jr. I didn't really feel good about eliminating Blaney, Chase, or Joey, but I felt really good about Brad and Martin being in my final four. So by process of elimination... That's why I got rid of the 12, the 9, and the 22. So let's go to the championship four. Phoenix Raceway is the venue for the first time since 2002 or 01 that the finale is not in Homestead or Atlanta, something like that. So we got Denny, Kevin, Brad, and Martin. And I said it at the beginning of the year. I've said it throughout the year. I said it last year in the championship four. It's time. It's time for Denny to win the ship. It's his year. This is just my opinion. But as I said, I picked him at the start of the season. And I didn't get the chance to ask him this question today, but he kind of answered it throughout other people's questions. I think Denny's mindset of not feeling pressure to deliver on winning a title is actually aiding him mentally. And it's it's likely going to be between him and Harvick when we get to Phoenix. Like That's what we can say, but it's not for sure until we actually see it happen as it has been all season long, obviously. And a lot can happen between now and then, you know? If one driver of Hamlin and Harvick, that being, if they have a DNF in one round, their playoff points are pretty much gone, so they have to deliver the next two races or whatever. But I I think they're safe to get there, and I think it's going to wind up being between those four drivers, between the 11 and the four, just like it has been this year. But again, 2020, so who knows? Kyle Busch might just come in and blow everybody's doors off. I, I really do think that it's Denny's time. It's Denny's year. And I really do think that his mindset that he said last year, I remember I was standing right in front of him when he answered, I think it was Jenna Fryer's question. And he basically was like, look, I don't need a championship to validate my career. Like I'm going to go, I'm going to finish my career with probably over 50 cup wins. Not a lot of people have done that. I've come really close, but my mindset that I've changed on track and off track in the last couple years it's different. Chris Gabehart has pushed me, um, and I, I'm I'm content with that. I'm at peace with that. And then the next day, Chris Gabehart texts him and is like, dude, stop saying that shit. Like, you're going to win at Phoenix today, and then we're going to go to Homestead and win the championship. And they almost did that. But even though Gabehart has a different mentality than Denny, I still think this is going to help Denny in the long run. If you hear a dog barking in the background, that's Bernie. He's a good boy, but he's also crazy. Um, anyways... So, yeah, I'm picking Denny to win the ship this year. I think that he's been long overdue on winning a championship. And the thing is, though, like like we've always said and like the drivers say, once you get to Phoenix, anything can happen and anything is on the table. We've seen it at Homestead the past few years where, you know, when it's the big three and me, me being Joey Logano, Logano wins. Last year, Kyle Busch did not have a good regular season or playoffs. Gets to Miami, he wins the championship. Tony Stewart had an abysmal regular season, gets to the finale, winds up being tied with Cousin Carl Edwards, and he wins on the tiebreaker because he wins the race. 
anything can and will happen. Jimmy Johnson in what what was it, 2016 with the last restart, um, getting the lead and winning the race. Like th- this stuff is wild, and I'm sure we're gonna see some wild stuff play out as well. But I think the champion is not going to be wild. It is going to be well-deserved, and it's going to be James Dennis Allen Hamlin. Take it to the bank. So we previewed the playoffs, but let's briefly also preview the opener at Darlington Raceway this upcoming weekend. Not the Bojangles Southern 500 anymore. Got a new sponsor, Cookout. Cookout's a a Southern thing. I've only had it like a couple times. They don't really have it up in the Mid-Atlantic area, but it's good, and it's cheap as hell, and it's dank. Cookout Southern 500, Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. I thought it was on NBC, but apparently it's on NBCSN. So let me just stall for a little bit and actually check what channel the race is on. NASCAR.com. Okay, NASCAR on TV. Um, Okay, let's see. Sunday, blah, 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 blah. Cookout. Yeah. Yeah, it's on NBCSN. What the hell? So the cup race to open the playoffs is on NBCSN, but the day before the Xfinity race at... 12:30 is on NBC. Whack. Stupid, whatever. There's got to be hockey playoffs going on on NBC or something. I don't know. Uh regardless, this is going to be the third race at Darlington at the Lady in Black in 2020. Remember we had back-to-back races that came back right after the stoppage for the pandemic was lifted. Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin won the prior two races here this year, so no reason to think that they won't do it again or will be up front contending for the win. Eric Jones is the defending winner of this specific race, though. Remember, he won the Southern 500 last year. It'd be a pretty big statement if he were to do that again this weekend, considering he still does not have an announced ride for next year. JGR has given him the boot for C-Bell, and he just missed the playoffs, so that would be big for him. Alex Bowman, even though I have him going out in the first round, he did run well at Darlington prior um, at a prior race this season, as I mentioned, finished second. But who knows if he, if he'll be able to run well now and translate that speed that he had during the day to a predominantly night race with different weather, different people in different places, things of that nature. Willie B's taking some momentum into Darlington. Kyle Busch and Chase Elliott, they had their infamous middle finger and go eat ice cream incident earlier on when they came here. To say that there's a plethora of storylines would be an understatement. You got an abundance of them and everybody better tune their asses into this race Sunday 6 p.m. on NBCSN. I'll be watching. You better be too. Look nuts of the week. That was a high pitch. Cue that funky music, white boy. Quick and painless lug nuts of the week this week. Willie B, we talked about him a lot. He signed a contract extension through 2022 with Hendrick Motorsports, and it was announced that that was signed during the Michigan doubleheader weekend, even though it was announced this week after his Daytona win. Another contract signing, Eric Amarola and Smithfield will be back on the number 10 car for Stuart Haas Racing in 2021. Smithfield will have 25 primary races. I wrote races on my notes, but they're going to be primary for 25 races. I'm sure that probably Mobile One will pick up the other 11, maybe Haas. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Maybe Peak Auto. Who knows? We'll see. And also some cryptic stuff going on with Jermaine Racing and their 2021 plans. 13 car Ty Dillon, it's up in the air right now. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen. Um, Austin Dillon said that he has not talked to his brother Ty about it, but he has talked to his grandfather and team owner Richard Childress about it. So we'll see. But dude, I'm telling you, if, if another single car mom and pop BC tier organization goes away, 
that's not good. And uh, I, I'm not really a fan of the charter system because I think it's somewhat hard to understand and grasp the concept of. Maybe that's just because I'm dumb. But also, like, it clearly is not working when you have Barney Visser saying goodbye, you have Bob Levine saying goodbye, and you may have Bobby Germain also saying goodbye. But let's end Lug Nuts with, with a cool nugget. Trevor Bain, remember him? 2011 Daytona 500 champ. Uh, left the sport, now is, is running a coffee shop in North Carolina. He is going to run the truck race for Nice Motorsports this weekend. First time that he's ran a NASCAR National Series race since 2017, I believe. And he finished ninth in, a, in an Xfinity race, I think like six or seven, maybe five years ago um, at Darlington. So I'll be interested to see if Trevor Bain still got something in him. But regardless, that's going to be pretty, pretty cool to see. They brought back Trevor, uh, Trevor, Travis Pastrana. Why not bring back Trevor Bain? So that'll be fun. That will wrap things up for episode 71, the Bobby Isaac and everybody else edition of Victory Lane 2.0. If you like what you heard from me, from my dad, from my mom, whoever, please give a rating and a review to this show. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. Usually wherever you get your podcast, we are available there for your consumption. And if we are not, please drop me a line, tweet me, Facebook me, Instagram DM me, slide in text me whatever you know how to reach me call me beat me whatever and i'll try to get that ironed out for you that is all we have for today we'll be back next week with hopefully another guest from the racing world to recap round one race one from darlington and preview round one race two which i will most likely be on site for fingers crossed knocking on wood at richmond raceway peace and love my dune dudettes enjoy